This is Bill Newman, WHMP. Welcome to the show, and we welcome to our show in the studio, Asmat Khan, who is the New York Times Pulitzer Prize-winning investigative reporter, who will be speaking this evening, 7 o'clock this evening, at the Student Union Ballroom at UMass. Also, it will be available online. This is part of the UMass Feinberg series. Asmat Khan will be speaking about the human toll of Americans' air war. This is part of a series, and I'd like to lay the groundwork for the series, and then we're going to speak to Asmat Khan, uh, who has so much insight into how America conducts its wars. First, let me turn to Chris Appy, who is a professor of history uh, and an expert on Vietnam and the Vietnam War. Uh, has written a book that I consider one of the very best Vietnam War books, American Reckoning. He is here today in his capacity as the director of the Ellsberg Initiative for Peace and Democracy. This talk this evening by Asmat Khan is part of that. Chris, take a minute, if you would, tell us a bit about the Feinberg series. It's, this lecture is part of that uh, and the Ellsberg Initiative. Chris? Sure. Thanks, Bill. Um, every other year, the History Department at UMass sponsors a, a series um, generously funded by Ken Feinberg, a class of 66 history major at uh, UMass. And we um, always choose a topic of major significance that has uh, deep roots in the past but ongoing uh, relevance to the present. And uh, this year's topic is U.S. imperialism. It's called Confronting Empire um, with a, a series of uh, panel discussions and, and lectures and poetry readings about uh, the history of U.S. imperialism and anti-imperialist uh, resistance. The Ellsberg Initiative um, for Peace and Democracy was inspired by UMass's acquisition of Ellsberg's papers. Uh, I hope listeners will remember that Ellsberg is the uh, famous whistleblower who in 1971 uh, leaked a 7,000-page secret set of documents about the history of the Vietnam War to New York Times and 18 other papers. So we are... Generally referred to now as the Pentagon. The Pentagon Papers. Thanks, Phil. So yes, we want to um, build on that archive by creating a permanent... uh, uh, institute to be a center of um, scholarship and also outreach to the public and uh, encouraging activism around the issues that were so important to Ellsberg's life and legacy. Uh, so uh, really excited that Asmat Khan is going to offer the inaugural lecture of what we hope will be many years of, of great uh, lectures that uh, have some relevance to the things that Ellsberg cared so much about. And Dan Ellsberg will be doing the introduction. Remotely. He will. He will be doing it from his home in California, and uh, he's a great admirer of uh, Asmat's work, so um, we're really looking forward to that. Again, Asmat Khan will be speaking this evening at 7 o'clock at the Student Union Ballroom at UMass. The talk will also be available online. Asma Khan, thank you so much for being here, and thank you for your series in the New York Times on the human toll of America's air wars. I woke up this morning, well, many hours ago, and was thinking about having you as a guest, and again, I'm just so pleased you can be here. Uh, And I began reading today's paper uh, about uh, the atrocities being conducted that have been conducted by Russian troops and what they have done to civilians as well as uh, fighting troops in Ukraine. Horrifying, just horrifying what is going on in Ukraine, what has gone on in Ukraine. And yet we think, we 
people in the United States that would be think that well we don't do that that that's something we when it when uh, Milai happened in Vietnam that was an outlier it was an exception Americans don't do that American troops don't do that sort of thing we do not commit atrocities and yet there is some kind of equivalency here that I can't quite get out of my mind with regard to the human toll of the air wars that you wrote about so brilliantly uh, in your series in the New York Times, and I know you're writing a book about it as well. Uh, the human toll of American air war. Is there some kind of moral equivalency, or can we say what the Russians have done in Ukraine, we would never do that? What's your view? Well, thank you so much for having me and giving me an opportunity to talk about this because it is it is complicated and difficult. What we're seeing, these scenes from Ukraine of massacres, of bodies turning up, shot at close range, places like Bucha where we're uncovering, you know, incredible war crimes, as many human rights investigators have claimed, it can be easy to look at all of that and think we don't recognize that. And I think that one of the reasons for that thinking is the fact that we do warfare a little bit differently today. So after the wars in Afghanistan and Iraq in the aughts, with this very war-weary public, tired of Americans coming home in body bags, we shifted our approach to future wars. So instead of risking so many troops on the ground and deploying Americans overseas in these large numbers, we chose instead to shift to air war and to conduct these airstrikes where there is now this distance. And in many ways that can seem so much less nefarious, right? You're not face to face with a person. You're not killing them in this very close proximity. You're not engaged in these abuses. In fact, what you're looking at is, you know, these areas from a distance, from footage that is not always necessarily clear, as my work has shown, that is oftentimes, you know, a partial, a very partial picture of what's truly happening. And we're killing civilians in numbers that are radically different than what our government has been claiming. And, and that's, I think, really important to understand is that the intent might be different, but oftentimes we've seen cities raised to the ground, Raqqa and West Mosul, in ways that look, they're reminiscent of Dresden. They're reminiscent of periods of time in which entire... You're talking about the firebombing of Dresden. Yes, yes, in which cities were incredibly leveled. It looks like nothing we've ever seen before, and we did that with air power and very few troops on the ground. There are three wars that you've covered, at least, in your series in The Times, uh, in Iraq and Syria and Afghanistan, What's the common denominator among those three? All of them have a much higher civilian toll than our government has told us. All of them have taken this approach, you know, ultimately in Afghanistan, that shift didn't happen until 2015, where we withdrew troops and largely turned to supporting our partner forces on the ground with a barrage of airstrikes. In Iraq and Syria, it was always, I'm talking about the anti-ISIS air war that was started in late 2014 and continues until today, it was always intended to be primarily via air. And that's one commonality. The other is that there's a much higher number of civilians killed than we know. But at the heart of it for me is that we can't truly have an informed democracy and debate these wars and understand them without 
true information about how they're actually going. And I would say that my work and those of my colleagues has shown that we are missing key information to truly understand how these wars are going. We are speaking with Asmat Khan, who is the New York Times Pulitzer Prize-winning investigative reporter who will be speaking at UMass tonight at the Student Union Ballroom again at 7 o'clock on the human toll of America's air wars. Iraq, Syria, Afghanistan, cities leveled. How many deaths, and I don't know if this is a fair question because I don't know if there's an answer, but how many deaths are we talking about? How many civilians has the United States killed as a casualty of trying to seek out targets, presumably high-level targets, in these countries? What's been the collateral damage, as the military sometimes refers to deaths of innocent people? Yeah, that's a great question. So I think it's important to start with what we are, what we have been told about that. So, you know, I I was always really fascinated by the claims that were published wholesale. I remember in early 2016, so about a year and a half into this air war, I remember seeing a front page news story in one of the biggest papers in the world that said, you know, we've killed 25,000 ISIS fighters, not attributed to US officials, just stated as fact in these airstrikes. And at the same time, we were putting out these press releases. The US military put out press releases that said every time that they acknowledged a civilian death. And I added them all up. And to that point, they were saying they'd killed 25,000 ISIS fighters, and they were saying they'd only killed 21 civilians. Now, I built a database of all of those press releases. And you know, if you break that down in Iraq, it would have been that one in 157 airstrikes was resulting in a civilian death. That's point zero. It's less than 1% of these airstrikes are causing these kinds of casualties. And so I set out to try to understand, well, what's actually happening on the ground? I worked with a sociologist to do a cluster-based sample in these three parts of Iraq and try to go door-to-door to every place that I could to understand you know, whether an airstrike had happened here, whether it had killed an ISIS target, whether or not civilians had been killed or injured. And I did this in a sample of more than 103 airstrikes. And this is back in 2016 and 2017. And I was just going door to door. It was as this- Door to door where? In in Iraq, in northern Iraq, I went to, um, the first town that I sampled was called Kayara. It's like a suburban municipality. The next was a smaller town called Shora. And ultimately, I went to um, a neighborhood in East Mosul. So the war to liberate West Mosul was actively happening as I was doing this work in East Mosul. And I interviewed people. I talked to them. I got their stories. I verified with any documents, photo evidence, video evidence. Um, And then I also took all of these coordinates for these locations, and I brought them to the U.S. military. And, you know, I'd also visited their hub of where all of these airstrikes are largely the nerve center in this air campaign. It's in uh, on a U.S. air base in Doha, Qatar, and I spent a lot of time with American officials who conduct this campaign and others who operate aircraft and um, evaluate intelligence to try to understand what is the process you go through because they do have, you know, a very, um, a seemingly very, it's a very detailed process that they go through to mitig- try to mitigate civilian casualties. So I, I worked hard to understand this. I gave them these coordinates. I tried to figure out how many of them were actually conducted by them versus the Iraqi Air Force or another partner. And, um, you know, I verified which were done by them and which weren't to the 
the degrees that they were able to confirm things. And just to give you a sense, so instead of one in 157 airstrikes, in this sample that... One in 157 causing a civilian casualty, inadvertently, to, by mistake, according to the United States Department of Defense, yes. an impossibly low number. And you found out, well, what was your conclusion? It was one in five. So this is a rate that was 31 times higher than what we were being told. Not twice as high, not three times as high, 31 times Okay, higher. so surprise, the United States military is lying to the American public and probably to the Congress too, for that matter. And how many civilian deaths have we caused in these wars? So back then, this was, you know, the first sort of sample that I did of this. And, you know, I continued this work for four more years after those first two and continues today. So it's been more than six years of this reporting. And I've had a, you know, I've had the ability to try to, um, you know, do a statistical inference. I worked with a sociologist on that. So back even in 2016, the numbers were just in Iraq. It was, I think, between seven and, and 10,000 was what that inference was showing us back then. Today, I can't give you a total number. I just know it to be magnitudes higher than what we've been told because the subsequent air campaigns in West Mosul and Raqqa resulted in even greater rates of civilian death. But Things were bombed to such rubble that I was unable to distinguish between, you know, an airstrike here that resulted in a civilian death and one here that didn't because there weren't doors to knock on. Everything was rubble. Things were unidentifiable. So I could verify that a civilian casualty incident had happened, but not what other airstrikes had taken place um, that maybe didn't kill civilians. It was impossible to do that same level of investigation that I'd done in those first two years. Instead, what I did is I took, you know, basically I'd been trying to get these records. The U.S. says that they investigate or assess all of these claims of civilian casualties, that they go through a rigorous process to understand who was, you know, ha how many people were killed. To get to that number, you know, they now, you know, the, their numbers and um, it's less than 2,000. To get to these numbers of civilians they say have been killed, and I, using the Freedom of Information Act, and, you know, I had to sue them, but I got thousands of pages of these assessments, and I went through them. And even just for the ones that they admitted that they said were credible, I went on the ground. Even for the ones that they admitted, the numbers were twice as high, just for the ones they'd admitted, not the ones that they even never acknowledged, never noticed, rejected, never rose to the level of investigation or assessment, which tells us that this kind of accountability we've been told about isn't happening. This true investigation, they were not visiting on the ground like I was. How can you truly understand if you're not on the ground? We're speaking with Asmat Khan, who will be speaking this evening at UMass at the uh, Student Union Ballroom at 7 o'clock on the human toll of America's air wars. We're going to come back, and I'm going to ask this question. Is the military lying intentionally, or do they just don't, do they just don't know? We'll be right back. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. When it's happening here in the Valley, we're talking about it. Modest, very minimal increase in the police budget, largely uh, due to just regular contractual um, obligations. Holyoke is nothing like Northampton and Greenfield. The quality of life uh, issues, our demographics, very, very different. So I can never compare our police departments. The challenges we have going on in our city are very, very different. 1015, 1400, and 1240. We are the Valley. We are WHMP. 586-1000. Good phone number, right? 
It's the number Whalen Insurance got when we opened in 1961. It's still our number more than 60 years later. If you need an insurance quote or have a claim, just call 586-1000. We answer the phone, ready to help. That's our pledge to you, until now. Now when you call, we'll answer. And if it's something clerical or routine, like an address change, we're going to transfer you to the Arbella Insurance Call Center in Quincy. You'll be connected with a real person there, too. You won't be entering your policy number on the dial pad. The Arbella Call Center. I told myself Whalen Insurance would never do this, but insurance agent friends all over New England tell me it actually works really well. So we're going to try it. And if it doesn't work well, I'm sure you'll let us know by calling 586-1000. Whalen Insurance. Local people, local service, local insurance. In partnership with Arbella Insurance. My dad, Russell Cooper, started Cooper's Dairy in 1936 at the age of 18. As a kid, I'd load bottles into the bottle washing machine or right in the tanker truck to pick up the milk. My father got up at 2 in the morning to make sure all the home delivery routes had been covered. When the milkman era ended, people started to call our location the corner Main and Chestnut in Florence, Cooper's Corner. In 1974, Dad bought State Street Fruit Store in Northampton. People used to call it Charlie's back then. Soon, Duyard's Barbershop next door became State Street Deli, and we built State Street Wines and Spirits on the other side. Hi, I'm Rich Cooper, and I've been hoping to keep Coopers and State Street committed to our Valley neighbors and farms my entire life. And now, it's time for the next generation to take over. Don't worry, it'll still be quick in, quick out every day of the year, but the next time you run out, you might run into Mike Natale. He's a Florence native, and he'll be taking things from here. Maybe Mike will let me host some wine and cheese tastings for customers, or I suppose I could just be a volunteer greeter at the door. On behalf of the Coopers family, I want to say thank you for supporting us these last 86 years. Part of what I love about being a therapist in community mental health is really getting to know people who are from really different backgrounds, including serving people who are the most vulnerable. Dan is a therapist at ServiceNet. There's a culture of thinking more deeply about the work we're doing, and for me, when I do that, that feels really good. If you're a licensed mental health clinician who wants to make your own hours while also being part of a progressive community mental health team, join us at ServiceNet. Go to the employment page at servicenet.org. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. We continue our conversation with the New York Times Pulitzer Prize-winning investigative reporter Asma Khan, who will be speaking at the University of Massachusetts Amherst tonight, 7 o'clock at the Student Union Ballroom, on the human toll of America's air wars. We were talking during the break about the Department of Defense's assessments. How many deaths did these airstrikes cause, either in Iraq, Syria, or Afghanistan? Um, and what I would like to I'd like to know a lot more about this, but I'd like to know what are we talking about in terms of airstrikes? Are we talking about drones or smart smart bombs, missiles from afar? What are we talking about? It's all it's a, it's all of these things um, together. So a lot of the use of drones these days is primarily you know it can be used for surveillance, accompanying you know a, a larger aircraft, more traditional aircraft that we're familiar with. So we had B fifty twos deployed in these wars. We had all different kinds of aircraft that you might be more familiar with, and drones are, you know, they can be used on their own, um, but they can also be, you know, I see them often used as surveillance, so they will be part of the pre-strike footage, what's known as a collateral scan. Sometimes when they take a look at what's in the area, it can be just a few seconds, and they can determine, well, there's no civilians in this area. Um, you know that Because they're all down on the ground with big signs, say, 
I'm a civilian or I'm not a civilian. I mean, how do they possibly know? Well, this came up again and again where they would do scans. They would determine no civilians. And then it would turn out that there were dozens of people huddled together in a house hiding, right? That they were trying to keep safe as this war was occurring. They're not going to be outside. And I saw that again and again. And then afterwards, these drones would take, you know, they would take a battle damage assessment and um, depending on the kind of strike, And it could also be just a few seconds or a minute or however long to understand the the impact that this, you know, bombing has just had. And they will determine, okay, well, we didn't see anybody. We saw no civilians or we saw a man crawl out of this rubble. We believe him to be an ISIS fighter. Um, Or we saw a woman and child and they will only include in their assessment what they can count So a lot of these assessments were for one or two civilian deaths that they determined because they saw a woman or they saw a child's body being brought out. But in fact, there were many, many more than that. So it leads me back to the question I I teased just before the break, which is, is the Department of Defense and the United States government lying to the American people as it did for decades about the Vietnam War? Or are they just making mistakes and they've got bad tools and inaccurate tools to assess how many civilians these airstrikes have killed? To tell an overt lie, you would need to know how many civilians are truly dying and then be representing this other number that they're using. I do not think they know how many civilians are truly dying. I I think the system and structure and processes that are used, whether intentionally or not, could not possibly tell you how many civilians. Who are, are the targets? The targets are supposed to be in this in Iraq and Syria. It's supposed to be ISIS. Um, you know this incredibly brutal group that took over broad swaths of Iraq and Syria, that you know uh, enslaved a population of minorities known as Yazidis and sold women into sexual slavery, that beheaded American journalists on on camera and for the world to see that killed scores of you know, security officials and members of the previous government after their ascent. Um, So this is not, you know, I think for many, we'd never seen a level of brutality like that. And so I think that many of these civilian casualties went overlooked for so long because, to be really frank, these airstrikes were helping retake territory from ISIS. The problem is, is that we did not, and I think to this day, still do not understand the full human toll that that involved to truly come to a decision to determine whether or not that's worth it. Similarly, in Afghanistan, we dropped more bombs in Afghanistan in 2019 than any previous year of that war. The level and scale and pace of bombing was so intense. It was civilian casualties played an enormous role in why we lost that war why the Taliban were able to come to power. It is essential to understand what these human costs are. And the what, because people hate, hate the United States because we've killed families? Not even just the United States. They hated the Afghan government that they saw as inflicting these, right? They never truly saw that government as their own. They saw them in, in you know, it depends on where you're looking, right? In a lot of urban centers, you'll see support for the Afghan government. But in these Taliban enclaves in Kandahar, Helmand, Nangarhar, places also where ISIS-K, as it's known, also took shape, a, a lot of these places, if you, you know, sit down and distill like a single village, which I spent a month doing after the Taliban 
took over. I was finally able to reach these areas and not be afraid of dying in an airstrike, right? The, the war had stopped. I went there. And people are telling me about how in 2002, you know, shortly after the U.S. invaded, there was so much support for this new Afghan government. And there was a series in this village, there were a series of night raids and surrounding areas that killed civilians that ultimately turned them right? And made this a bastion of Taliban support. Like this happened again and again in areas that are associated with the Taliban's rise. So, so you're saying, you're saying the war was lost because to use the cliche, we lost the hearts and minds of the civilian population. It was a primary cause that I often do not see identified as a primary cause. People will often talk about corruption. They will talk about the lack of a central government, but lost within that is this granular level of detail that you get from spending time in a place and seeing these, like the intersection of these macro and micro histories, right? About the local dynamics there, but then these bigger influences that allow you to understand just how much of a pivotal role civilian casualties played. And so to get back to your question, which was, you know, did they, in, did they lie? Did they know that they were wrong? They have used an approach that will not allow them to truly understand the effect that these are having, not just in terms of civilian deaths, but on local populations. So there's a kind of willful ignorance here. Well, we, we cannot report what we cannot count, and if we can't count it, we're not going to report it. And that's the end of the story. So from in, in these 1,300 cases that the civilian casualty files that I wrote about were based on, in only two instances did they either visit the site of an airstrike to investigate what happened or interview survivors. Well, let, let me, Two uh, instances that, out that, of 1,300. Astounding, astounding. I, w I would like to ask you a couple of personal questions. We just have a couple minutes left here. Mm -hmm. um, were you in danger when you did your investigative reporter going door to door uh, in, in, in Iraq and Afghanistan? Um, and as a related question, um, as a woman investigative reporter, did your gender raise issues in your ability to do your job and how were you received? Tell us about that a bit. Yeah, if you would, no, please. these are great questions. In Iraq and Syria, um, my gender was often an advantage. So to contrast an experience a colleague had, you know, when he turned up in a place where there were minders who, you know, didn't really want to let journalists into the area, he was arrested and blindfolded and mock executed and with me, they would be like, hey, lady, like, what are you doing here? What's a lady like you in a place like this? Let me see your passport, have tea with us, tell us what you're doing. And it it, it really is, um, you know, there's... So the chivalry and the chauvinism was an advantage? <laughs> Sounds a lot better than a mock execution. It really does. That. It sure does. <laughs> that is one extreme example. But, I mean, it, it's cross-cutting, right? You can be um, underestimated, and that can help you, and you can be underestimated, and that can hurt you. But, you know, it's dangerous to the extent that you know, you really do have to plan, but I think it would be easier, to be honest, if I were uh, a security force or a partner security force and, you know, you do not have to gain access to these areas in the way that I did, which was, you know, I really had to, like, push to get into these places and it was a lot of effort. Like, it would be much easier for either, you know, coalition forces or their partners to do this kind of ground investigation. And so to not have done so was a really deliberate choice. I think it's riskier for me than it would be for them. So, you know, yes, there were certain incidents, but um, knock on wood, you know, I, I, I worked hard to try to keep myself safe and, you know, I've been safe. Did you have armed 
security with you? At various points, you might. Um, the going into a place with armed security can really raise your profile. So if I were going with video cameras and equipment, I would make that choice because, well, my profile is already raised. But if I'm blending in with the local population and I'm trying to do these interviews discreetly, then I would not want, you know, an armored vehicle and people who look like they're there to defend me. And in total, how long did you spend in those three countries doing this investigative reporting? So I've been doing this since 2016. Um, so it's been more than six years. Um, and with the exception of the pandemic, I spent, you know, um, every one of those years making reporting trips to each of these countries. We've been speaking with Asma Khan. She will be giving the inaugural Ellsberg Lecture this evening at 7 o'clock at the Student Union Ballroom at UMass Amherst. She is, of course, the New York Times Pulitzer Prize-winning investigative reporter. The topic, the human toll of American air wars. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, let me just, before we go, uh, Chris Appy, who is the director of the Ellsberg Initiative for Peace and Democracy, which is the sponsor of tonight's talk, if people cannot make it to the Student Union Ballroom, how can they see this online? You can watch it online um, by registering at umass.edu slash Feinberg, F-E-I-N-B-E-R-G. Chris Appy, Osmond Khan, thank you both so very much. See you this evening. Thanks. Thank you. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. You play with my world. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. One adult has been confirmed dead after the fire at 90 East Street in Northfield Sunday night. The fire started in a repair shop and destroyed the building, also causing damage to nearby property. The cause of the fire is still being investigated. Governor Charlie Baker signed a $3.76 billion economic development bill last week that includes funds for health care, energy, and infrastructure. $850 million, the largest portion of the bill, will go toward hospitals impacted by the pandemic. $153 million will go to support small business owners across the state. $175 million is going towards clean infrastructure. The funding comes from last year's surplus revenue and federal funds from the American Rescue Plan. Claims of mutual bullying and harassment have been lodged between two city council members in East Hampton, and now the mayor and several current and former councillors are weighing in. According to the Gazette, at issue is a dispute between at-large councillor Owen Zaret and Precinct 5 councillor Dan Rist. Mayor Nicola Chappelle says she typically does not get involved with internal matters of the council, but did so when Rist said he had health concerns due to the stress of the dispute. A new solar array is up and running, putting a key part of Amherst's electric grid on renewable energy. Over 15,000 panels are now online, which is enough to power the electricity of over half the town's municipal buildings. The project features a 4-megawatt system that spreads across the north landfill. Hi, I'm Nick Oresco. Increasing clouds late this morning with highs in the low 40s. Snow arrives after 8 p.m. this evening, quickly changing to rain in the valley with less than an inch expected. Higher elevations could see up to two inches before we dry out late Wednesday morning. I'm Nick Oresco on 101.5 WHMP. This News Minute is brought to you by our partners at Holyoke Media. Yo soy Johan Rashi Vega con la síntesis informativa de Holyoke Media. 
Hablando en una conferencia de prensa en la Casa Blanca, el presidente Joe Biden prometió trabajar con los republicanos y dijo que entendía que los votantes están frustrados a pesar de la campaña sorprendentemente competitiva de los demócratas. También reiteró su intención de postularse para la reelección en 2024 y dijo que tomaría una decisión final a principios del próximo año. La elección no alcanzó la victoria arrolladora que buscaban los republicanos, ya que los demócratas eludieron el tipo de dura derrota a mitad de periodo que a menudo afecta a los presidentes en ejercicio de cualquier partido. Los resultados sugirieron que los votantes estaban castigando a Biden por presidir una economía afectada por la inflación más pronunciada en 40 años con un 8.2%, al tiempo que criticaron los esfuerzos republicanos para prohibir el aborto y sembraron dudas sobre el proceso de conteo de votos de la nación. Los malos desempeños de algunos candidatos respaldados por Donald Trump indicaron agotamiento con el tipo de caos fomentado por el expresidente republicano, lo que generó dudas sobre la viabilidad de su posible candidatura a la Casa Blanca en 2024. En otras informaciones y como parte del proceso de asfaltado y mejoras a la calle High en Holyoke, la ciudad anunció que esta calle continuará estando cerrada al tránsito vehicular este jueves 10 de noviembre desde la calle Essex hasta la calle Lyman, en horario de 6 de la mañana a 5 de la tarde. Durante este cierre no habrá estacionamiento de vehículos ni tránsito en la calle. La ciudad ha pedido que se remuevan los vehículos y que el público se mantenga al pendiente de señalizaciones que marcarán desvíos y rutas alternas. Durante esta etapa final se estará completando el trazado de líneas sobre High Street. Yo soy Johan Rashivega y esta fue la síntesis informativa de Hollywood Media a través de WHMP. This News Minute has been brought to you by our partners at Holyoke Media. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. This is our monthly comedy quiz with Pam Victor and Maddie Benjamin, where even more than in other segments, I have no idea what's going to happen. <laughs> You're hanging out with improvisers. <laughs> and that's how we like it. And that's how we roll. Maddie Benjamin, microphone is yours. Thank you so much, Bill. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to the Happier Valley Comedy Comedy Quiz Show. Uh, my name is Maddie Benjamin. I am from uh, Happier Valley Comedy, and I am joined by Pam Victor, Monty Bill Monty, and joining us to play today as well is Bill Newman. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Okay, let's see what the score is now. <laughs> trying to get out of my condo state to play, oh. but she had to go. The okay. topic is law. <laughs> Uh-oh. And law stuff. The topic is law stuff. Okay. Law stuff. I think you took that class. Okay. Yes. Right? Yep. Uh, no, uh, today we're going to see how much you all remember about some famous children's books. Oh, come on, Marty. I haven't done this in a long Wait time. Wait a minute. I just started you have grandchildren. Two I grandchildren. Know. And my oldest, my youngest child is nine. So com- you, have you a really huge, huge are advantage. in the orbit of it right now. Yeah. And I am nine years out of the orbit of it. I'm quite a bit out of the orbit, but I just had two nephews and a niece born in the last two years. Oh. So, And I give them books. That's the present. Well, we have um, a lot of defensiveness from the top (laughs) uh, and a lot of butt covering. So let's see how it turns out. (laughs) (laughs) All right, great. So we'll start off with some some multiple choice questions. Let's start off with an easy one. Uh, Question one, what kind of animal was Wilbur in Charlotte's Web? Was it A, a pig, (laughs) B, a spider, C, a dog, or D, a cow? I saw one hand already. Monty. That's some pig. That's some pig. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with the. 
What were you gonna go with, Newman? It was either the, uh, the or the spider. So yes. it had to be. What noise does it literally called the Charlotte's <laughs> Web. <laughs> a little clue in the, it in been the question. Charlotte's Web of Deceit. <laughs> Figurative web. Charlotte's Web of Bacon. Oh, that's yeah. terrible. Uh, I just saw the movie not too long ago with a young friend. Is it a movie? Charlotte's oh, Web. Yes, it's true. <laughs> oldie i said i said pig your name all right great uh so you are all correct wilbur is indeed some pig yeah all right great question okay so now we really have to end the show now thank you very much (laughs) we're all perfect (laughs) always a good way to go okay moving along all right uh for question two what did the wild things not do in where the wild things are Mm, not is it a gnashed their terrible teeth, B, roared their terrible roars, C, showed their terrible claws, or D, kicked their terrible feet? Hmm. Uh, This is Pam. I would say D, kicked their terrible feet. I'm going to go with D, too. I'm going to go with C. Yeah, it's Mm, it's C or D. claws, yeah. Uh, Well, uh, good job following Pam Newman. Uh, okay. The answer is indeed D. Okay. They did not oh, kick right. their terrible feet. No. Uh, okay. Uh, such a good book. I kind of remember cl- showing their terrible claws. I was hedging my bets because you both went the other way, and I thought that was my best option. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I like I like a strategic play choice. Yeah. yeah. Well, let's see. Uh, in question three, what did Alexander have to eat for dinner in Alexander and the Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day? Was it A, Brussels sprouts, B, steamed spinach, C, lima beans, or D, green peas? Wow, that's a tough oh. one. I'm not, that's not, that, that book wasn't in our library. Yeah, we didn't really read that one much either, but before you gave the multiple choice, my brain went to Brussels sprouts, well, so I'm going to go with that. Uh, I, see, mm-hmm. I think Brussels sprouts is like... Hippie too, food from now? No, no, it's delicious. I like it, but it's like sort of stereotypical bad food. Yeah. So I'm going to say, because it's specific, steamed spinach. I'm going to go with the lima beans. Uh, it's a good choice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because li- I like lima beans. <laughs> I, I like lima beans. You actually. like lima beans? I do. Why? They taste like chalk. They're just, they're, you're like, <laughs> oh, good, a bean. Oh, no flavor, nothing. This is the time Fine. where I say, why don't you throw in the lasur peas, Bill? <laughs> As Dale reminds me, that's not really food, but it is food. Okay, what's the answer? Uh, well, we can say uh, that for dinner, there were lima beans. Wow. And I hate limas. Uh, Newman that's is winning. Newman's winning. Wow. I'd like I to think point we've got a at ringer. The, at the present time, I have three times as many points as Monty Belmont. Wow. At least it's not competitive, and that's the important thing. Everyone, personal best, just Wait, personal it best. Is Don't you have two points? Quit, no, three, because tied with you last time. Oh, okay, and now gotcha. this one above me. You're in second place. That's yeah. very good. I'm oh, losing. don't condescend me. Don't condescend How me. How quickly it went. To his head. <laughs> By the way, I didn't mention I was also a preschool and elementary school teacher. One night. Oh man! Yeah, I have experience, but okay. yeah. All right. Well, let's see if either uh, Pam or Monty can uh, get another point with this one. Uh, in from the mixed-up files of Mrs. Basil E. Frankweiler. I love that book so much. Where do the kids camp out? Is it A? The American Museum of Natural History, 
B, the Metropolitan Museum of Art, C, the Museum of Modern Art, or D, the Bronx Zoo? Mm-hmm. Well, A, was a, it's, what, wait, say them again? <laughs> a, the Met. is the American Museum of Natural History, B, is the Metropolitan Museum of Art. That's where it is. Okay, I'll take that. <laughs> I'm going with B, because Pam was the only one who reacted in a way like she knew what the book was, and Newman and I both made a face. Oh, <laughs> oh. Such a good book. Did you, were you not fourth grade girls at your life? Guess not. I mean, I kind of was. <laughs> <laughs> it does uh, capture a very specific 10-year-old girl angst. Oh, I just, I loved it so much. They Well, and also nerdiness. They camped out in a museum, and yeah, you could be in a museum with nobody else there. <laughs> well, Bill, that narrows down your... I'm going to go with Pam. I'm going to go there. They hit with Pam. That's what I get half a point for being a copycat, copycat. No, no, but but we are generous in our scoring. We're going to give two points to Pam for her explanation as well as just overall. Let's see if I'm right. The same as getting a half point. Well, then (laughs) Pam will get two points because the correct answer is indeed the Metropolitan Museum of Art. They They bathe in the fountains. They slept in, in the, the queen s- in the in a bed. I thought it was the queen's bed. That's what that's what threw me a little bit. But it was a bed. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. I would love Classic. that. That'd be fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, pick there, it up. There are, there are a lot. There are a lot of films, books, and, uh, stories. Uh, kids in museums, and sometimes adults in museums when the doors have closed. Right. Yeah. This, this is a Something genre. romantic about I, it. Yeah. Why didn't I always fantasized about being stuck in Ch- Toys R Us at night? Right in a music. Well, I wanted to win the shopping spree. I had like all mapped out in my oh, head. Oh, like, what you would know. get? Oh wow! If I couldn't you take that stuff home. An old memory. Yeah. <laughs> it wouldn't be as good as just being in there with it in boxes. <laughs> we gonna do one more before we take a yeah, break? Yeah, we okay. got one more multiple choice question. Okay. Uh, so the final multiple choice in the story: Piglet meets a heffalump. What does the heffalump turn out to be? Is it A? Christopher Robin in giant galoshes and a raincoat. B, a shadow that makes Kanga and Rue look like a two-headed monster. C, Winnie the Pooh with his head stuck in a honey jar. Or D, Eeyore taking a depression nap. (laughs) (laughs) All of these are so feasible. They are. Is this from that new horror movie that just came out? No, you know about that? (laughs) Which one? Now that it's in the public domain, not the Disney Winnie the Pooh stuff, but all the early stuff can now be used by anyone. And so there is a movie called Blood and Honey. No! Christopher Robin goes back to the Hundred Acre Woods and like all of the rest of the gang are dead and Winnie the Pooh. It's, it's amazing. That's I not it, okay. I, I can't not wait. I can't wait okay. to see it. Can't wait to see it. Not okay. All right, I'm gonna go with A, Christopher Robin. I'll go with um the what was C? Winnie the, Winnie the Pooh with his head stuck in a honey. No, I don't jar. like that one. B. Kangaroo and Rue. Yeah. I'm gonna go with Eeyore. It's a good guess. Wow, well, none of you picked the most classic answer, which is, in, in fact, the correct one. Oh. It was Winnie the Pooh with his head stuck in a oh. honey jar. Oh. He got stuck in his own heffalump trap. Oh, <laughs> oh silly Pooh. I, I, I went with lump. I thought the heffalump would get you in front of Heffalumps and woozles. I do appreciate the logic. Woozles. All right. We're going to be back with more of the comedy quiz right after this. This is Bill Newman, WHMP.
The Western Mass Business Show with local dynamo Tara Brewster. Saturdays at 11 and Sundays at 2. Only on WHMP. Brought to you by Greenfield Savings Bank with offices all throughout Hampshire and Franklin counties. Greenfieldsavings.com. The Western Mass Business Show with Tara Brewster. WHMP. Five eight six one thousand. Good phone number, right? It's the number Whalen Insurance got when we opened in 1961. It's still our number more than 60 years later. If you need an insurance quote or have a claim, just call 586-1000. We answer the phone, ready to help. That's our pledge to you. Until now. Now when you call, we'll answer. And if it's something clerical or routine, like an address change, we're going to transfer you to the Arbella Insurance Call Center in Quincy. You'll be connected with a real person there, too. You won't be entering your policy number on the dial pad. The Arbella Call Center. I told myself Whalen Insurance would never do this, but insurance agent friends all over New England tell me it actually works really well. So we're going to try it. And if it doesn't work well, I'm sure you'll let us know by calling 586-1000. Whalen Insurance. Local people, local service, local insurance. In partnership with Arbella Insurance. We all know how food insecurity affects families all over the Pioneer Valley. That's why the United Way of Pioneer Valley is asking all of us to be extra generous this year on Giving Tuesday, November 29th. Your Giving Tuesday gift will help the United Way's Feed a Family Fund keep giving essential food supplies to those in need right here in the Pioneer Valley. This year's effort will not only help feed families here at home, but also families in Puerto Rico affected by Hurricane Fiona. So this Giving Tuesday, November 29th, give generously to the United Way of Pioneer Valley so they can continue the important work they do all year long. Do you want a front row seat for this year's Hot Chocolate Run for Safe Passage? Join us as a volunteer on Sunday, December 4th to hand out stickers, serve hot chocolate, help runners along the race route, and much more. The Hot Chocolate Run is about all of us, our community, coming together to make Hampshire County safer for survivors of domestic violence. Safer for everyone. You can help make this year's event a success. Learn more and sign up today at hotchocolaterun.com slash volunteer. Caring for someone with cancer is hard. You're so busy taking care of someone else, you have no idea how you feel. There's so much you can't say. You run on adrenaline. You're worried you're going to burn out. Cancer Connection offers support groups just for caregivers, exercise classes to blow off steam, even Reiki. It's all free. Go to cancer-connection.org to learn more or to donate today. Cancer Connection relies on local donations to make its services free of charge. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. And we continue the Comedy Comedy Quiz where the score is <clears throat> Monty with two, Pam with four, and Bill with four. Uh oh. Twice as many points as Guess one. what's happening Monty now? Belmonte. You're going to give your answer first. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. No, no, no. You can't like see the it, kidding but, uh, class thing. We <laughs> gave you that two points that one time. Bill, Bill Newman's you know, head I, has I, now I, swelled I, to I, half the room. I give I give I give <laughs> extra points to Pam Victor. Next thing is I'm being put in an awkward position. Mm. Uh, You're becoming a heffalump. Huh. Heffalump. Okay. All right. Well, let's see Let's see how uh, you folks do with the next couple ones. These are going to be open answer questions. Uh, so our first question in the open a- answer category is, what are the names of Peter Rabbit's 
three siblings. Oh, wait a second. I know this. I know two of them. I know two of them. Oh, shoot. Oh. <laughs> well, let's do it together. Let's have our collective right. We have Flopsy, Mopsy, and Dave. <laughs> It's something like that. It's yeah, not, it's, it's not like a single syllable. Yeah, yeah. Uh, mopsy, it's, it's, it's not opsy at all. No, it's not an opsy. It's, it's not Peg. an opsy. Yeah, it is. Flopsy, like a... mopsy, and Jeff. Groot. <laughs> okay, okay. We, we, the, the white flag of surrender is here. Flopsy, mopsy, and Cottontail. Oh. oh. So I think you all get two thirds of no, a point. No, we all get no point. <laughs> we all get no point. No, no, no. Even if, if we all do two thirds of one point, it's still the functional equivalent of having no oh, points. Oh, math. Yeah. We reduced it. <laughs> all right. I think this one will be a little bit easier. Here comes Peter Cottontail. How could we not remember that? Well, that's Peter Rabbit. <laughs> oh. Peter mm-hmm. Cottontail is a song, but not having to do with Peter Rabbit necessarily, right, only having to do Beatrix with rabbits. characters. It, Oh, this, this comedy quiz is really confusing. That's a clarification <laughs> would mean I get an extra point. <laughs> it was, yeah. You should get a point for that. Yeah, That's a good, okay. good point. Ah. All right. What color is Harold's magic crayon? Oh, Pam. Okay. Let's, let's see. All right. Fine. Three, two, one. Three. <laughs> I should have said. We're going to do this on the count of three, two, one, and just set a three, two, one. Quick. But yes, it's purple. purple. Harold's Purple Crayon. Harold and the Purple Crayon. That My is own. correct. No, it is indeed Harold's Purple Crayon. Yes. Uh, another fantastic that book. That one's a great really good one. Seriously. Yes. Okay. All right. Uh, what is the name of the creature who makes sure people don't waste time in the Phantom <sighs> Toll Booth? Oh, oh, boy. It must be that dog that's a cl- clock. The watchdog. I'm gonna go for. I'm gonna not. I'm gonna concede. I'm gonna. I'm gonna go with Pam. Don't you dare! <laughs> not allowed. <laughs> okay, I'm not gonna go with Pam. It's the. Uh, or you will. Your punishment will be the punishment from the Phantom Toll booth. You'll I, have to move a mountain, sand by sand piece. Ooh, from that, one that would to the be difficult. I don't know the answer. I don't remember. All right, then just give Pam her point. It okay. is in fact the watchdog. Yeah, um, another fantastic. I want to get a half a point for. Being going with Pam and being disqualified. <laughs> no. Nope. Can somebody add two thirds plus a half? <laughs> okay, let's. All right. Uh, so for this last question, I'm going to read you a couple of titles, and you're going to tell me whether or not they were a real Goosebumps book. Oh, oh boy, dear. now we're out right. of my. <laughs> me too. Forget it. <laughs> All right. Uh, question one: Say cheese and die. Yes, it was a Goosebumps book. That's my guess. Because it's funny. Oh, we have to do this one by one? Okay. Know. Yeah, I'll say yes to that. <laughs> so the answer is either yes or no. Yes or yeah. no, yep. Okay. I'm going to go with... Yes! Yes, it was <laughs> a Goosebumps book! <laughs> I have no idea what I just said, but I got a point. Yes. Say cheese and die. Yes. All okay. right. Question two. Revenge of the Lawn Gnomes. I'm going to go with no. I have no idea. I'm going to go in. Have you heard of the Goosebumps series? I don't know. It's very like uh, millennial. Well, I think it's pretty I'm going to go with no because it sounds like a millennial, you should be negative. Great. I say no as well. It's a real Goosebumps book. I should have done Monty's strategy. What was Monty's strategy? Just to do what other other people don't do. Yeah. (laughs) All right. And the last one. Is it or is it not a Goosebumps book? The Haunting of the Haunted House. No. It's Yes. (laughs) 
Well, I'm going to go with no because negativity didn't do work the first time. Let's see if negativity works now. No, it's not a Goosebumps book. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> I get a point. I couldn't even remember All what right, I said. Phil, what, are our, what are our final scores today? The final score is Pam Victor has seven and two-thirds. Okay. She is the victor. Ha-ha. So to speak. Monty has Literally. a lot of points, but I don't think it's as many as Pam's, and I don't think I'm a fair scorer of me. <laughs> <laughs> I think Newman came in second. I think I came in dead last. Well, it was last. a noble effort, everyone, and thank you so much for playing along with us. Uh, if you would like to see a full uh, list of offerings of everything that's going on at Happier Valley Comedy, you can check out happiervalley.com. Uh, stop by this weekend. You will see a performance by Not In Charge, uh, which is improv comedy inspired by true stories. We're also currently registering for classes, so if you think that improv is something you would like to do, uh, sign up for a level one class. We'd love to have you there. Thanks so much, everybody. We'll see you next month. Junior Achievement of Western Massachusetts helps prepare young people for real world career and financial success. As we enter the season of giving, thank you for considering a gift to Junior Achievement. Throughout November, when you make a donation of $25 or more to JA of Western Massachusetts, you will be entered into a raffle for a pair of Boston Bruins Winter Classic tickets at Fenway Park. To make a donation, visit jawm.org forward slash donate to make a gift you can be proud of. Northampton Neighbors is free of charge and open to all with a range of social and volunteer opportunities as well as services and support for members 55 and older in the city of Northampton. Need help? Want to help? Join us as a member, a volunteer, or donor. Northampton Neighbors is about more than aging in place. We're about engaging in place, this place. Find us online at northamptonneighbors.org or call us at 413-341-0160. Live and local news and talk for Northampton and the Valley since 1950. WHMP Northampton. WHMQ Greenfield. A Northampton Radio Group Station. It's